Well, good morning again. My name is Chip, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Orchard, and we're really glad that you are joining us for this series. It has been really good, and uh, if you are joining us for the first time, you have hopped right in the middle of our series called Taming Lions, where we're looking through Daniel chapter 1, and it's been a really great series. It's been challenging for me. We've had a lot of good response from our folks, but uh, whether you're an orchard attender and you've missed the last couple weeks, or this is your first time ever checking out one of our services, I'd encourage you take time this week, go back into our on-demand page on our website and look at the last two weeks' messages because this series, Walking Through Daniel Chapter 1, really does build each message off of the other. And I know you don't have time to do that right now, so what we're going to do to get started this morning is let me just take a minute and kind of do some reviews so that we can all start uh, from the same place this morning as we go forward inside of Daniel Chapter 1. Uh, the reason we're in the book of Daniel to begin with is is because this series is all about what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in a culture that is constantly trying to pull us away from Him. And we really nailed down that idea of culture pulling us away from Jesus in the first week of this series because what we saw is this, no matter where you live, no matter when you live, Every culture that you have lived in it is slowly and subtly luring you away from Jesus. This world is busy every single day, every single moment, shaping us into its image and not the image of our Creator and our Savior. So we've got that battle, and going to Daniel, we see that battle played out in Daniel's life. See, Daniel was a teenage boy who grew up in Judea, the southern kingdom of Israel, and was taking captive by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon during the Babylonian captivity and conquest of Jerusalem. And so Daniel is suddenly plucked up, taken out of his home, taken away from his family, taken away from the roots of his faith, dropped in the middle of the king's palace, and he has to decide in Daniel chapter 1, what does it look like for me to follow God in this foreign land? And so that idea that the Babylonian culture was pulling him away from his faith, is super relevant to us today. No matter where you're from, no matter uh, what you have grown up around, that culture that you're in now, it's just like Daniel in Babylon. That culture's pulling you away from Jesus. And last week, we spent some time looking at exactly how culture does that, how culture in a very sneaky way tries to lure us away from our faith. And in the end, we saw how the gospel is the only hope of us being able to fight against culture. Culture. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to jump back into the history that Daniel gives us and look at how he stood strong against the pull of the Babylonian Empire and what lessons we can learn today for how we're going to stand strong against that same pull in our world. So if you got your Bibles or if you have your phone Bible app, we're going to go back where we've been, Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to pick up Daniel's history in verse number 8. So I'm going to read it for us. It'll be up here on the screen. You can follow along there. We read that Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my, I fear my, my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king." 
And so Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So what you're reading here is you're reading about Daniel in the middle of his Babylonian captivity. He's been brought into the king's palace and given three years to get up to speed with Babylonian customs and literature and history so that he could then become a servant inside of the king's palace. And part of that was uh, an attempt to shape Daniel to that culture. And a way of doing that was to get Daniel eating food from the king's table. Now, this wasn't like a, a mischievous or villainous attempt uh, to attack Daniel's faith. This was probably a high honor that was reserved for those who come from good families, royal lineage, well-educated young men, such as we learned last week Daniel and his friends were. But at the same time, it was a test for Daniel. And if you've read this passage before or say, you know what, that kind of sounds familiar, it may be familiar because this is the passage that a very popular diet known as the Daniel Daniel plan or the Daniel fast came from. And I think when we've heard about that, we've talked about that, that was a thing in the church for a while, is we read this passage and say, oh yeah, I get what this is all about. This is all about if I eat healthy, then I'll be healthy. If I eat vegetables, I'll look better than if I eat McDonald's. Well, while that may not be true, that is absolutely not the point of what we just read. This isn't about a diet plan to help you shed pounds getting ready for the beach. This is about Daniel fighting to not be conformed to the culture of Babylon. This is about Daniel fighting against that pull of culture and about God fighting on his behalf. And here in Daniel's story, what I want us to see today is this. He uses two main tactics uh, that we're going to talk about. And those tactics are faithfulness and then graciousness. And he uses both of those in equal measure. We're going to talk about it. Matter of fact, here's the idea. God blesses faithfulness and he uses graciousness. Now, before we go any further, it's really important for me to point out exactly uh, who is at work here because it's easy for us to see Daniel as an example, and he is, he should be, but Daniel is not the only one working in this story. It is God who is blessing Daniel's faithfulness, and it is God who is using Daniel's graciousness. It is God acting on Daniel's behalf that brings about the results we just read. So, yes, Daniel is faithful, and yes, he is gracious but it is God who acts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump back to verse 8, and I want to look at Daniel's faithfulness. I want to look at Daniel's graciousness, those two things that God used, and I want to take some time to talk about those and what they actually uh, look like. So go back with me uh, to verse 8. We talk about faithfulness here. Uh, Let's look at this. It says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. 
So let's kind of break that down and kind of get an idea in our head. What does faithfulness mean? Faithfulness is like a super churchy word, right? What does that mean? Well, let's break it down. Here we go. First of all, you see here, Daniel had a standard. Daniel had a standard. You see that because the knowledge that what Daniel would eat from the Babylonians, that knowledge that it would defile him, shows that Daniel had a standard for what was right and what was wrong. Matter of fact, I don't think you ever see anybody use the word defile in a positive context. It inherently has a negative context. It inherently means wrong or evil. And so Daniel very clearly had a standard for what was right and what was wrong. Uh, Daniel had a standard for what obedience to his God looked like and what disobedience to his God looked like. And he attributed that Babylonian food from the king's table to wrong disobedience. And to be honest, we're not exactly sure why. It may have been because the food that was coming from Nebuchadnezzar's table was food that was forbidden by Jewish dietary law. Uh, matter of fact, it's common knowledge that you know pork and shellfish are, are not a part of a Jewish diet according to the Old Testament law, but it was a part of the Babylonian diet. To go further, horse was a common part of the Babylonian diet, and that was unclean for Daniel. So it could have been that just according to the Hebrew diet of the Old Testament law, he couldn't eat it. It may well have been that the food itself was clean, but it was offered to idols. It was not an uncommon practice back in this day and time for food to be offered to idols and then served to guests. And that serving it to idols first, offering to idols first, would have made Daniel take a stand and say, look, I'm not going to defile myself with that food. Or finally, it may have been neither of those things. It may have just been the fact that Daniel saw eating this food from the king's table was a sign of his complete surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was not going to surrender to any king other than God himself. And so Daniel had a standard for right or wrong, either way. And I think what's so hard for us to get about that is that most of us don't have that same idea of a standard anymore. We don't really have a set, objective, solid standard from right or wrong. Matter of fact, any standards that people have now, a lot of that comes from just what I feel in the moment. A lot of our standards for what's right or wrong, what we should or shouldn't do, is really based upon the circumstances around us and the context we find ourselves in. And that's why you find people who may have taken a stand for one thing at one point in their life go against that later in their life because their standard is something that they are constantly determining based on the circumstances and context of their life. But that was not the case for Daniel. See, Daniel did not determine his standard for right or wrong. Daniel had discovered a standard for right or wrong, and that was the revealed will of God inside the Word of God. Now, that's big. Because when we determine the standard of right and wrong, that's going to shift based on where we are, how we're feeling, what's happening in the world around us. But a standard that we not dis uh, determine, one we discover, one that comes from outside of us, is something that can be a steady guide throughout the course of our life because it doesn't change. Daniel had a standard. Beyond that, Daniel had a conviction. 
He had convictions uh, about the standard we just talked about. So you see that back in verse 8. It says that Daniel determined he would not defile himself. Now, we're reading out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Version, uh, Christian Standard Bible, but that word determined, I think, may be a little misleading. When we think about that we're determined to do something, that speaks to our willpower, our commitment. But the word determined in the original language speaks directly to the heart. This was not just about Daniel having extraordinary willpower to live up to a standard, but it speaks to the fact that Daniel was deeply convinced of this standard and its truthfulness inside of his heart. And that's why I think not determine, not determination, but conviction is a much better word. See, once we have accepted that the only real standard for right or wrong is an external standard that is revealed by God to us, we then have to internalize that external standard. We have to believe it in our heart. We have to be convicted by it in order to live it out. And if standards are missing in our world today, how much more is conviction missing in our world today? We need to be convicted about the truth. We need to be convicted about the stands that we take. And that only happens because Daniel had faith. Now, that's, that's a big thing here, right? When you look at the word faithfulness, faith is at the heart of it. Uh, you can't be faithful without having faith. Faith in what? Faith in a few things, particularly faith that the standard God has given, the one that Daniel discovered, that that standard is good. I think all too often we see God's standard as a way to keep us from things that we enjoy, to keep us from things that we desire, to keep us from having a good time and experience life to the full. But that couldn't be any further from the truth. The standard that God has given us is given for His glory and for our good. And you will not be deeply convicted to live for that standard until you have faith that even though you can't see it, and even though it may not feel like it in the moment, that the standard God has set is for our good. Faith that when we obey that standard out of a sincere conviction that God will bless us. When we are obedient to God, He will bless. Now, don't get that confused with the idea that if you are obedient to God, you're going to get a check in the mail and in the memo line it's going to say blessing. That's not what we're talking about here. But God blesses us even when we lack physical wealth, even when we lack physical health. God blesses us by revealing more of Himself to us. We don't come to God to get blessings other than God Himself. But when we are obedient to God, we will will always get more of God. And beyond that, Daniel had faith that God himself knew more and better than he could ever comprehend. You know, I think that speaks to the heart of faith, doesn't it? That, that we have to have faith that God has a better plan for our life than we do. That God knows more about what's ahead than we do. And that God loves us more than we would ever comprehend. That, that's been a big deal for me in my life because there's been things that have happened in my life that I would have done differently if I were in God's place. But I think it's important to remember that those things that have happened, the loved ones they have happened to, that I have to have faith that God knows best, that God loves more, and that God guides truer than I ever could if I was in his seat. 
And so when I have that faith, being faithful becomes easy. And so that's the heart of Daniel's faithfulness. But see, Daniel wasn't just faithful. Matter of fact, we read one verse in this part that speaks to Daniel's faithfulness, but then uh, we are elaborated upon by about his graciousness. So let's keep reading back in, in verse 9. It says that God had granted, again, God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. And yet he, the chief eunuch, said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. He says, I'm scared of Nebuchadnezzar. What if he sees that your faces are looking thinner than the other young men your age? It's, it's implied because I allowed you to do this thing. He said, then you would be endangering my life with him. And so what this guy's saying is, look, if I grant your request, I'd be you know, tempted to. But if I did and you get sick, if you lose weight, if you're not progressing the way Nebuchadnezzar thinks you should, then it's my head that's on the chopping block. And so in verse 11, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating at the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So not only was Daniel faithful in living to that standard with full conviction and faith in God, but he was gracious in getting there. What do we mean by him being gracious? We may be more familiar with that word than the word faithful, but it's still not something that we use for people under 80 years old, it seems like. What does it mean to be gracious? Well, first off, I think you can see that Daniel was compassionate here. Now, remember what happened. After hearing Daniel's request, the chief eunuch, we know his name from a couple weeks ago, his name was Ashpenaz. He was concerned that granting Daniel's request would ultimately cost him his life. And get this, Daniel actually cared about that. You know, I think we don't need to kind of brush by that because we may think that if Daniel's going to be faithful, then he doesn't care the cost. He's going to do what he has to do to be obedient to God. And I do believe Daniel was fully intended on being obedient to God no matter what. But yet I think that you can see Daniel's heart move when he says, man, I don't want you to die because of this. I don't want to put your life at risk. Daniel genuinely cared about Ashpenaz. And here's something I want you to get. We are not being faithful to God if we don't genuinely care about those God has placed around us. Like you may think you're being faithful, but if you're being faithful in a way that disregards everybody else around you, then you're not being faithful to God. You're just being self-righteous. I think Daniel understood that. Not only was he compassionate, Daniel was kind. He, he, don't, don't underestimate the importance that when Daniel made his request, he said, please. <laughs> like, you know, I think sometimes you think that the man of God in Scripture doesn't have to say please. He has to say, thus saith the Lord. But I think you see Daniel's graciousness in the fact that he says, please. He was being kind. He was being respectful to this Babylonian pagan, even to the point, if you go back and read it, that he referred to himself as your servant. Listen, Daniel was being kind. He was being respectful. And why shouldn't he be? More than that, say another word, this is one of my favorites. Daniel was winsome. 
Now, if we don't talk about faithfulness and we don't talk about graciousness, it's probably been a hot minute before you've heard winsome. But man, I love that word. I think the church needs to recover that word. The word winsome means to be appealing, to be attractive, to be pleasing. And that's what Daniel was as he talked to Ashpenaz. Uh, now, don't think when you read that that he was a pushover, that if Ashpenaz had said no, that Daniel would have went cowering back to his cell and done whatever he was told. Think of it this way. Maybe your grandma told you this growing up. Honey, you're going to catch more flies with honey than you are with vinegar. Listen, that's, that's true. That's what it means to be winsome, that in our speech, that in our actions, in the way that we treat others, we should be appealing, attractive, and pleasing. Why? Because when you look at all of this together, his compassion, his kindness, his winsomeness, ultimately Daniel was persuasive. That's a big deal, right? When you put all of this together, Daniel's graciousness made him persuasive to the Babylonian eunuch. Why is that important? Listen to me. It's not enough for us to be right. We've got to be persuasive. What do I mean by that? Let, let's, let's camp there for a minute because this speaks strictly to, uh, specifically to where we are as the American church today. Guys, it is not enough for us just to be right. Think about this. When you make a post on social media, when you make a comment when you're having an argument or a debate over coffee with a friend, when you are pontificating on all the world's problems, ask yourself this question. Are you really trying to change somebody's mind? Well, that, that post that you made this week, that you expressed your opinion about the current goings-on in society, are you making that post in hopes that your post is going to change somebody's mind? Or, or that comment that you made to their post you disagreed with, are you really trying to change their hearts? Chances are neither of those is true. I think what we're really trying to do in our posts, in our comments, in our conversations, we're not trying to change minds. We're not trying to change hearts. We're just trying to make a point. Our arguments, posts, comments, guys, they're facing the wrong direction. Here's what I mean. When I was uh, going to school and learning theology and ministry, I had to take a preaching class. And in the preaching class, um, the, the professor gave some fantastic advice. He said, every young guy who comes out of seminary, when they go to preach in the local church, having this wealth of knowledge for years that's been poured into them about the Greek and the Hebrew and archaeology and exegesis and this and that and this and that, he said, it's really tempted to preach that sermon in a way where you're facing your professors, you're facing your textbook authors, you're facing your classmates, and you want to preach in such a way that they'll pat you on the back and say, man, that was a fantastic sermon but then he said, when you do that, the people who are sitting in your congregation that you should be facing are going to leave there scratching their heads because they've got no idea what you just said and why it matters. He says, the problem is we're facing the wrong direction. We've heard it say this way in popular culture, we're preaching to the choir. We're preaching to people because we want their approval, not because we're trying to be persuasive. So I want to be clear, because I love you, Church, we have got to stop looking for a pat on the back from people who already agree with us and do the hard work of being persuasive to those who don't. Quit facing the wrong direction. 
Quit making that post because your friends who think like you and look like you and talk like you are going to agree with you. Do the hard work of being compassionate, being kind, being winsome so that we can be persuasive because at the end of the day, a lost world is depending on it. Guys, there are people who are looking at us and we're doing nothing to show them Jesus. Let me show you this quote by D.A. Carson. I think it helps explain why this is so important. D.A. Carson is a professor. And he says this. He said, Some believers can be totally obnoxious when taking a stand for their faith. Daniel, however, was respectful and sensitive. He did not demand, but he asked permission. He recognized the validity of the official's concern that allowing Daniel to change his diet might put the official himself in jeopardy. We can put God first and still show due respect and sensitivity to those around us. I love this. Let's not assume that all non-Christians are enemies. Why is that so important? Why is it important that we put God first and yet show respect? Why is it so important that we are faithful and yet gracious? Why is it important that we don't see all non-Christians as enemies? You know why it's important? Because we can't lead our enemies to Jesus. But we can lead people who are lost in sin just like we used to be to Jesus. That's how we have to see people. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything anybody says. I'm not saying that you have to cow down and say, well, I'm going to take some time and try and learn from your point of view and see things your way and make sure. Look, maybe that's good for you, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you'll never win your enemy to Christ. But when you see them not as your enemy, but as someone who is lost in sin, then you can lead them to Christ because you used to be lost in sin and somebody led you to Jesus. And here's the thing. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because this isn't just about Daniel's example. Daniel was faithful and Daniel was gracious. But at the end of the day, Daniel was just a sampling of what one day we would see in full. And that is Jesus himself who came full of grace and truth. Look at John's words, John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. John said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because He existed before me. Look at these two verses. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Man, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, Daniel was faithful and gracious, but Jesus is full of grace and truth. You know, in our world, it seems like you have to choose one or the other, right? Like we can either be gracious, kind people, or we can be people who stand for truth. But Jesus proves to us all, once and for all, that you can be full of both. You can be full of grace, kindness, compassion, and love, and yet take a firm stand for truth with a standard of right and wrong and live a life of conviction. You can do both. 
And you can do both, not because it's in your capabilities and yourself, but because as believers, we find truth in Jesus and receive grace from Him. I love that's what John said. We have received grace upon grace from His fullness, from the truth, from the grace. We have received grace. And so now living in that truth and living in that grace, we can do the same for others. So let me just leave you with this. I know this is super eloquent. This is super profound, but maybe you won't forget it. Don't be a jerk. (laughs) Don't be a jerk, man. I think we put out evangelism classes in churches every couple of years, right? Like you've grown up through the four spiritual laws, EE. If you were a good Southern Baptist, you did the faith course. But maybe the course that America needs most today in our churches is how not to be a jerk 101. Maybe that would be the most effective evangelism tool that we could put out there. You know why? Because if we proclaim truth and then act like jerks to a world lost and dying in their sin, it will not do us any good. But more than that, if you, as a follower of Jesus, are not being pulled by culture and shaped into the image of this world, but if you are being shaped by Jesus to look like him, you won't be able to be a jerk for long anyway. Because if our goal as Christians is to be like Christ, then we will have to be full of grace and truth. And if we can't hold both of those, it means that the world's shaping us more than he is. And so what we're going to do next week is we're going to push into that. Okay, when we do this, when we are faithful and gracious, when we live full of grace and truth, what does that look like and what can it accomplish? You're going to be amazed. But let me pray for you right now. Father God, thank you for this day, this time to be here and talk about these things. And I thank you for my friends who are watching all over right now. God, I pray that you would convict us of which we hold more tightly, grace or truth, and and which we're tempted to let go of the most. God, so that we can come to look more like you and not like the cultures of this world. God, we want to be believers who look like you, full of grace and truth. And God, I pray that in a world that is so confused and misled, so so just under a spell of the prince of the power of this world, Satan. God, I pray that we would be a clear beacon of truth in a very confused world. And that as we stand for truth, that we would do so with graciousness in a way that would make us persuasive to those lost in their sins around us. And that they would lean in to hear about what makes us this way. And so we can ultimately point them to Jesus so they can experience the same grace we have. So God, thank you again for your word. I pray that you would put it deep in our hearts and that it would bear fruit when we need it most. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.